Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Glad that you're here. It is, it's a gift to be a father, and, and though Mia is, is small, uh, all of 11 days, I can't really imagine life without her, and I think that uh, it, it plays into, I, I was told uh, before we planted, I, I was single, and I was, like, I was told that once I get married, all of my stories are going to be based around marriage. And then once kids come into the equation, all the stories would be based around kids, um, and I have a highlight. I have a high probability that's going to be the case. The, the reality is, though, she sleeps and poops and eats, and, and th- that is the story at this point. And nothing is wrong with that. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. But what I have discovered for myself is uh, I already feel this deep conviction to to be the best that I can be for for my daughter. This desire that was, was immediate within me, that I would like to do everything possible to love and serve her well. And on this Father's Day, uh, I, I wholeheartedly believe as we jump into this series that we have a, a good God that wants that even more so. Even in these early days, I desire to be better. And if that is my desire, I want us to work from the baseline that God has that desire even more so. Even from a stance of a personal reflection, if you want more out of life, if you are pursuing more in life, how much more does God want that for you? A couple weeks ago when we were talking about the book of Habakkuk, Very simply, I presented this thought at the end that we need to believe, can we comprehend, can we grab hold of the simple fact that God loves the world more than you do. He desires for the world to flourish. But the truth is, this has not always been the case. And this is where it takes us to our text today. We're in the middle of a series walking through the minor prophets as they talk truth to power and they declare to the people of Israel and the surrounding nations that they have chosen to live in a way that is outside of God's desire for them. We've talked through a couple different of them uh, and this this Sunday we're going to be looking at the book of, of Obadiah. So the people of Israel and surrounding nations, they've turned to false idols, they've treated their neighbors with animosity, and they've carried out injustice towards one another with an eagerness that would seem to believe that there wasn't any sort of consequence to their actions. They'd chosen not to worship God. They had pushed aside any opportunity to help one another. And they'd focused on their own success above any other. And in many ways, they have broken the commands that Jesus gives hundreds of years later. Love your Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor. So here's the question I want to present to you this morning. What do you do 
when you're not achieving your desired outcome. Within our own humanity, we, we try harder. We undertake actions that would perhaps improve the situation. We want the, the spaces that we're in and the, the places that we contribute towards to flourish and to be safe and to be well. And God the Father wants the same. But when he sees that the people of Israel and the surrounding nations had fallen short from the desired outcome that he, des he was hoping for the world around, he did not simply point at the action and say, change it. He points to their heart. He goes to the root of the problem. So we're going to read out of Obadiah. Obadiah is all of one chapter. And so we're going to journey through Obadiah, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 together and verses 11 through 14. And so you can follow along on the screen. Obadiah 1 through 4 and 11 through 14. So it says, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks, make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. In verse 11, it says then, on the day, in reference to the coming of Babylon to Jerusalem, on that day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor Oh, so much in the day of their trouble, you should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. This is a heavy piece of text. What Obadiah is saying He's saying that you have missed the mark, not simply because of wrong action, but because of the heart behind it. And in particular, a heart of pride. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to pride, these ancient words, um, they can feel extremely relevant. Let's pray out before we continue. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we just pray that the word that we are about to receive, that the scripture would speak to us in our current situations, that our hearts would be good soil for seeds to be planted, that we would not have walls up that would separate us from the revelation you desire us to hear this morning. Be with me in my communication and be with each and one, every one of us as we listen to what your spirit might have. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis 
Uh, he was a cowboy from Oklahoma, and he fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. Uh, and he, he notes the very first day that he arrives at the big city of Chicago from his hometown of Tulsa. He says that he got off the bus and he began to look around and he had two suitcases under his arms and he saw the Sears Tower as he got off the bus and he walked over in front of it and he put down his two suitcases and he looked up at the Sears Tower and he said to himself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And then he looked down and his two suitcases were gone. Uh, the silent thief, the silent killer, pride. Slowly, secretly, subtly seeping into our spirit, suffocating the plans and the purposes that God might have for us. And as we consider Obadiah this morning, I think we ask the question, what can cause us to operate outside of God's intended vision for the world, and Obadiah points to pride at the root of it. Pride will stop you from flourishing in God's desire for your life. Pride destroys relationships. It, it breaks down families. It makes us hold on to bitterness and refuse to forgive. Pride is hard to even engage with because pride, we don't even want to realize that we have if we are prideful. I've heard, I've heard a speaker say at the very beginning of his sermon, I'm going to talk about pride, but for many of you in the room that need to hear it, you're not going to have a hard time hearing it through your ears of pride. It's a hard thing to, to imagine or to comprehend or to engage with, but it seeps into everything. Pride causes us to live a life in a way that is outside of God's intended vision for the world and for your life. And you can put this as an application to anything. On, on this Father's Day, we could say pride causes me to operate outside of God's intended vision for fatherhood. God, God's intended vision for my workplace. God's intended vision for my family. Pride gets into everything. It's that silent killer. Augustine calls pride the sin beneath the sin. And Obadiah felt the same. So like I said, Obadiah is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament. Just a mere 21 verses. And it's made up of a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom. Difference between Obadiah and a lot of these other minor prophets. The minor prophets are often speaking to the people of Israel. Obadiah is speaking to the people of Edom. And when he's talking about the people in the clefts of the rocks, he's talking about the Edomites. Now, pride always has context to it. And Edom, in particular, has shared ancestry with Israel, which goes all the way back to two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob would become Israel, and Esau would become Edom. And the contentious nature of their original relationship trickled into the nations which they gave birth to. And so from the very beginning, the bond between Israel and Edom is contentious. So you have to remember that when the book is written, it's written after the exile of Israel. Israel has already experienced catastrophe. And now Obadiah is speaking to this neighboring nation of Edom and asking them the question, what has caused you 
to act in the way that you did in the time of your brother's need. What we're reading about in verses 11 through 15 is the people of Edom deciding to take advantage of a situation. Plundering cities, killing refugees, and hurting a people who they by blood should have called family. And this is what makes this book so interesting because they do these horrible, horrible things. But it isn't the actions of the people that are pointed at directly. It is the heart that God decides to highlight. So this morning, I have three paths of pride that I think I see in the book of Obadiah, starting in verse 3. In verse 3, it says in particular that the pride of your heart has deceived you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. The first path of pride that Obadiah presents is the deception of pride. Because the beginning of the book begins with a series of accusations against Edom, specifically noting their pride and self-exaltation. And then it talks about this people in the clefts of the rocks, the people who are in the high place, the people who are living with the eagles. And this is both literal, because that is the space where they were, and it is metaphorical. And it isn't, isn't it funny how metaphorical parts of the way that we think often give life to physical representations because they literally lived up in the high rocks and therefore they believed themselves superior to the Israelites. They were up above looking down below. They were Obi-Wan on the hill saying, I have the high ground yelling down at Anakin. The Obi-Wan series on Disney Plus right now. It's, it's, on my, it's on the brain. But this is the deception of pride. It, it would have you believe that simply because of your position, you are better than another. In the cleft of the rocks were the Edomites, and because of their position, they had heard the deceptive voice of pride say, you're better than your Israelite brothers. And we've all been deceived by pride and the deception of pride causes this sense of superiority to rise up within us. It's this feeling that you're more important or you're better than other people. This is the deception. Pride always works from this place of comparison. Perhaps you've heard the statement that comparison is the killer of contentment. But I also believe that comparison is the fuel of pride. Pride requires a comparison in order to function. And it's a comparison that always diminishes another for the elevation of self. This is the deception of pride. Their position relative to the people of Israel fueled their pride. Have you ever noticed for yourself that in a moment of supposed happiness or victory, you had a tough time embracing it? Do you notice that you don't truly find happiness in your success until it's based off another's failure? That I feel great about this promotion that I got and I feel great because they didn't get it. I feel so happy about this relationship that I'm in because I'm really glad I'm not like them. That I feel amazing about my work, but it's only because it's better than theirs. 
that the only way that you actually experience happiness is at the cost of another. And if this is the case, then my challenge to you this morning is we need to consider has pride taken root in your heart? If happiness only comes at the expense of another's failure, then pride has deceived you. It's funny, pride, it seeps into our lives, and when it comes into relationship with another, pride seeps into rivalries, much like Edom and Jerusalem. And rivalry is an odd thing, because rivalry, it doesn't just want good for you, it wants bad for the other person. Rivalry says, I'm not content till you're doing badly, not just that I'm doing well. And this is the scenario that we see with the Edomites and Israel. Because in verse 12, Obadiah says to the people of Edom, you should not look down on your brother on, in his day of misfortune. Because a prideful heart requires superiority over others in order to experience happiness. That is the deception of pride, and that's the first path. The second path of pride is the seduction of pride. Because here's the thing, I don't think when I talk about pride, we're completely oblivious or ignorant to it. We're aware that the dangers and the pitfalls of pride exist, and yet we so often fall into it. How many of us have used our position to elevate ourselves over another? How many of us have allowed our prominence to prevent us from responding with grace in another's time of need? And this is a people that had already seen so much conflict take place in their history. They would have already seen the cost of their pride in previous seasons. The people of Edom and Israel had come come to head multiple times when the people of Israel had escaped from Egypt and they were going to the promised land. When they were hoping to enter the promised land, they came upon the land of the Edomites, the people of Esau. And when they came upon the people of, of, of Esau, they came upon these Edomites. They were not met with open arms even though they had just traveled through the desert. No, they were met with an army. And the people of Israel, they even offered to pay their way so they could pass through the land, but yet the Edomites still responded with rage and a desire for revenge and retribution. This is all in Numbers 20. They said no, and they forced Israel to go the long way around. And this is almost 900 years before this book is written. This goes back a long, long ways. This was their first response that they're going to force them to go around. And then in verse 11, it says, On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. This is what the seduction of pride does. When you think of someone that's being seduced, what happens? A lot of reason kind of falls out of the place, right? You don't become as rational, perhaps, in your thinking if you're being, quote-unquote, seduced. This is what pride does. Pride places blinders against reason and ration, but simply seduces us into believing that selfish aspiration is the only way. This is what had happened to the Edomites. 
They had been seduced by pride. They, they couldn't even see that they were going to face the conquerors of Babylon at, at a near point. They couldn't see how they could help those who were innocent in that situation. All they could see is they're getting what they deserve. The, the seduction of pride makes us believe that the problems of others are not our own. This is the seduction of pride. And then the third path is the stubbornness of pride. Offerings, often suffering is generated when we cling on to things, and, and pride causes us to cling to things. Pride clings to deception. Pride clings to seduction. And pride makes us believe that the problem is always about someone else. Isn't that what stubbornness is? That I'm not going to acknowledge anything that I actually have to contribute to it. That because I, I, I operate the way that I do, this is just the way that I do it. And this is the way I'm always going to do it. And I'm going to stubbornly hold on to it. And the stubbornness of deception would have us always say that the problem is someone else's. And perhaps even as we're hearing this story, you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not Edom. I'm not the Edomites. I don't want to have a rivalry with Israel. I don't have this retribution that's boiling in my heart. So, so I don't need to worry about pride. But here's the thing, even within this book, this book isn't about the fact that Edom are a bunch of bad guys. Obadiah says very specifically in verse 15, the day of the Lord is near against all nations. This is a dialogue that's not specifically pointing at the people of Edom alone, but against all prideful nations. Whenever pride comes in, Father rejects the proud. Edom is an image of how God confronts the pride of all nations. The word Edom in Hebrew is spelled with the exact same letters as the word for humanity in Hebrew. The stubbornness of pride leads us down a dangerous path because there's a progression that takes place here. They stood aloof. They rejoiced in their suffering. And then it says that they should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. What pride ended up doing inside of the hearts of the Edomites is that it justified them capitalizing on the pain of others no matter the cost. This is the progression that takes place. It starts with them looking down on them. Then they rejoice over them. Then they boast over them in their trouble. Then they metaphorically march through their gates. And then they wait on the crossroads to harm them. Pride had infiltrated the hearts of the Edomites and led them down a path that did not simply avoid conflict, but participated in the destruction of Israel. And not, not even in some kind of noble warfare, but in the killing refugees fleeing a hostile empire. No wonder God was saying, this is not my intended desire coming to place in the world. And this is a warning to all of us, be careful of the path that pride will take you. 
that this, is just, this isn't just about Edom, this is for all nations. And maybe you haven't found yourself killing refugees, fleeing an empire, but one of the ways of pride that I've even seen infiltrate my heart or the church as, as a whole is that we can get to this conclusion that God and his forgiveness is only for those who look like us or act like us. And we've closed the doors on those who are broken and seeking refuge. And we've remained aloof when people have needed our help and our support. This is the the deception, the seduction, and the stubbornness of pride. It is the silent killer. So this is the challenge I want to put before you this morning. I want you to ask honest questions of yourself. If the joy of your life, if the happiness of your life is based off of comparative success, then perhaps pride has become the root of your happiness instead of God's grace. If, if the plight of others doesn't provoke a need to respond within you, then perhaps pride has become blinders fixed upon selfish aspiration. And if the problem is always someone else's fault, then perhaps pride has justified your wrong as simply being less harmful than others. If we are to see our lives flourish according to the heart of God, if we're to see the world flourish according to the heart of God, we need to turn our attention from the outside to the inside. Because pride might have a grip on our hearts. But here's the thing. The story of Obadiah doesn't end with doom and gloom. In fact, it ends with one hopeful line. And it says that the kingdom will be the Lord's. And this is what we know about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is beyond the kingdom that we see at hand. The kingdom of God is reflective in the person of Jesus. The kingdom of God is is for those who are hurting and broken. It is reaching out. It is generous. And it specifically counteracts all that pride would seek to do. C.S. Lewis says, God is not proud. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him. Consider the kingdom that the God wants to bring here on earth. When we look at Luke chapter 15, I think this is a beautiful picture of the kingdom that is meant meant for us to exist in. We see the heart of the Father and we see the heart of humanity. We see a son who believes that he knows the best. He's been deceived. He's seduced by his pride and he's stubborn in his ways and he demands an inheritance from his father. And he goes and he enjoys in Luke 15 till he feels the payoff of pride in his life. And he's at his end and he makes this decision, I'm going to return to my father. And what does he actually expect upon his return? He expects to encounter the very pride that he had based his life upon. But as he approached in Luke chapter 15, it says he got up and he went to his father But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with with compassion for him. And he ran to him. 
Do you see the differences of the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God? The kingdom of the world is seduced by pride, is deceived by pride, and is stubborn in pride. While the kingdom of God is full of this humility, so much so that the humility of the father runs towards the pride of the son. And where the pride of the son thought that he would be received in such a way, he was overcome by the humility of the father. This is the kingdom of the Lord. He ran to him. And pride was not present. Humility came running. Humility brought hope. Humility broke walls that pride wished to build. The son was proud while the father remained humble. I am so ill-equipped to give any kind of fatherhood advice after 11 days. All I know for myself is that as I have sat in, a, in the hospital chair in our, in our house holding our little one, I am overcome with this deep sense of emotion that I am unable to do this on my own. That if there's one thing that I can take from this text and bring for myself is that I need to submit all pride that I might have, that I have every answer and every thought perfectly put together, but rather that I would humble myself under the, the beauty and the majesty of a good God so that my child might discover that above my capability, my competence, my thoughts and ideas, because humility would be the thing that I would wish for her to encounter, not my pride. So hear me this morning. Humility desires to make the world better while pride desires for the world to think that I'm better. And worse, pride would stubbornly blind us, deceive us, and seduce us Humility invites us to a new way, to see a Christ-like way, to reject the prideful identity of our flesh and embrace a humble identity in Christ. Because here's the thing, and if you're going to remember anything this morning, I want you to remember this. Humility can do all that pride wishes it could. Anything that you believe that your pride wishes that it could do, humility will do it tenfold. Because to be humble like Christ is an identity that can handle both success and failure. D.L. Moody, he said that I believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride, selfishness, and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and, and fill every corner of our hearts. Humility can do all that pride wishes that it could do. So if we want to participate in God's vision for the world, if we want to see our our families and our workplaces and our relationships healed and reconciled, if we want to see our aspirations and our purpose come to life, it isn't actually elevating ourselves so that we can feel really good and have this false confidence leading into the moment. It is to actually come before a good God and discover humility as our foundation so that our heart would be rooted in humility instead of pride and then our actions will then follow suit. God's heart is humble and generous, not self-serving or self-seeking. In fact, it squashes pride. So we're going to pray this morning. 
if you are feeling resistance to the idea of pride being present in your life, I would say that that resistance is probably an indicator of pride. If you are feeling as if I don't have this to worry about at all, I think that we have shown three paths through the book of Obadiah. The seduction of it, the deception of it, the stubbornness of it. We are all on that path somewhere, some way. And the cost of it is our actions will often follow suit from a heart rooted in pride, whether we like it or not. And so the invitation of God is not go and do right things and be better. The invitation of the Father for each and every one of us this morning is would you just bring your heart to me? And the pride that might be rooted would be healed. The pride that you might feel might be made whole. It's okay, little one. So would you pray with me this morning? Would you bring to the forefront of your mind, perhaps there's on one of the paths you find yourself, that you've been deceived by pride. You find that you've been stubborn in your pride. You've been seduced by pride. And what, something has resonated within you. Would you bring that pride to the surface? And would we offer it to a good God to uproot it and to plant the seed of humility that we need to be contributors to the kingdom at work in our world? Let's pray together. We pray, Father, right now that your humility would become our posture that our happiness would not be found in the failure of others, but in you. I pray that you would give us courage this morning to repent from our pride and linger in your presence. Give us courage this morning to come forward with, with truthful reflection. Yeah, pride has taken, taken root in my heart. And I've just tried to change the action, but it just keeps on coming back. Father, thank you that your grace is more than enough. That you came running to our prideful hearts with this beautiful response of humility. That you humbled yourself before the cross so that we could experience the fullness of life that you desire for the world. Overcome our prideful hearts, oh God. And give us a new understanding of how humility might be part of all that we are and all that we do in this world. Thank you for the truth that humility, humility can do all that we wish pride could. Reveal within us, even as we continue to sing, your heart, your love, your grace, and your forgiveness for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet? We're gonna sing another song together. And what I would actually invite you to do, and perhaps this is the moment for you to take a chance of breaking through some pride that you might have.
as we sing, as the worship team plays, would you just come even to the, to the front? Not looking to have anyone pray something specific over you or make a dramatic piece of it. But would you come to the front and just offer, offer to God perhaps a pride that you're carrying? Say, God, would you renew me? God, would you, would you fill me and would you heal me? And would you give me a sense of your presence in the here and now? If that's the breaking of our pride this morning, amazing. But I would invite you as we sing to really just spend time with the Father. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.